Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Constructed Criticism. I'm your host Spencer and I'm joined by my co-host, the one, the only, Abraham Stein. That's me. It's true. You are the only Abraham Stein I know for what's worth. Uh, yeah, I don't actually know... There, there's enough of them that my, uh, like, professional Gmail had to have a number in it. Do you know my Gmail? No. It's spencerhowland at gmail.com. That's so lucky. I also got into Gmail early. So... Yeah, I, I got in late. So, yeah, it's, um... Luckily, my wife's name is Devonair, and she also got hers because there's no you know, people with that name anyway. And then also yeah. definitely no people with that name with my last name. So it was yeah, really there's funny. not so many Abraham Steins that I had to go like super deep into what the numbers were, but I didn't have to go with a nice hearty two. Ooh. So. Ooh, that's rough. There's no underscore or dot that could have been in that place. No, no, I tried Abraham dot Stein and that didn't go either. So there's probably like a dozen or two, you know, sure. Sure. You know, that you, you, you need to be earlier to that. That's part of always improving, man. Well, you know, next time that the next time there's a new generational email or equivalent, you'll get in early, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of which, what is your always improving moment this week? You know, that is the point of the show. Eh? We want to be getting better all the time. Be doing what we can to improve. What did you do to improve at Magic Life this week? Yeah, so my always improving this week um, came from SGCon um SUGCon, new jersey that's where i was um where in the main event i uh honestly i was really really frustrated with my performance um i thought that it was a modern 20k main event I was playing hammer time i was super comfortable with um with the format and at least I, coming in i thought i was super comfortable with the format and uh you know the deck i was playing and the list and everything but a couple things happened right before the tournament that um like kind of threw me for a loop and I didn't have much time to prepare for. One was that um, I decided for the first time in a very long time to register blue cards. So registering spell pierce and specifically and, uh, and Lavinia because of the fact that creativity, a matchup that I have not played a huge amount since it became very popular um, is really popular. And that's a very important card to have if you plan on playing as the matchup, which I did several times. Um, and partially because of, like, the rise in the, like, fair breach decks in Modern, I kind of underestimated how much I would have to be learning and adjusting on the fly, and I didn't really come in um, to the tournament feeling as prepared to do that as maybe I should have, and I, I definitely felt myself... I played six matches, I felt like all six were winnable, and I only won three of them, and, like, that experience was really... Um, really frustrating but also really like humbling in a sense where where my always improving comes in it's not only like seeing exactly why it is that being fully prepared for you know if my objective was to win that tournament then um you know the amount of preparation i put in was not nearly enough um and i was able to see that and really feel what it is to feel that kind of unprepared and know that but also like the improving is that i know compared to where i would have been having that exact kind of experience in any format, even just a few years ago, um, back when I was playing the SG tour, I would not have had the same, um, like understanding of where it was that those, 
uh, mistakes were being made and the things that I could have done better because all three of them I identified pretty immediately like, yep, this is where I made a mistake tactically. This is how I could have known to not make the mistake or eliminated, you know, the, I could have made the decision easier for me to make correctly. Um, and just overall, like, I felt really happy with my play in a lot of spots and like I was playing at a really high level, but I was making these mistakes that I couldn't afford to make because I needed to be playing at that high level. And some of the things like one of them was in the moment realizing that I could like narrow the range that my like of removal spells, my opponent, my creativity opponent could have down to like half of what I was actually considering and make a better decision on that. Like that kind of mistake and identifying that as a mistake instead of, oh, well, you know, I tried to play around this and then I played around that instead and they had the other thing. Like, being like, no, I could have known that it couldn't be this other thing I played around and I took a line that considered maybe too much of these other things. Um, just kind of like really was uh, motivating to me in the way of like, you know, I have gotten a lot better at a lot of these things and I have, you know, I have improved a lot. I, I find your comment about removal spells really interesting. And one, I think that uh, not going going into a tournament without playing that matchup and playing Hammer Time was probably really hard. Um, uh, and I also know that, uh, you know, my team has actually been playtesting that matchup quite a bit because most of our RCTs are modern. Um, and we, uh, you know, at least two of us have access to the uh, X-Whale guide and stuff like that and we actually just disagree with will will has that listed just spoiler alert people but he has it listed as hammer favored um and all of us disagree uh basically even if you if you know the matchup well uh hammer can win but it's actually in in our opinion not just myself but like most of the people that i test with uh pretty creativity um maybe not pretty favored but like definitely creativity favored winnable for hammer is like how i would describe it and well to get into the weeds about it a bit here yeah can i just ask which creativity build you're playing like what exact kind of 75 you're playing so i'm i play the five color version um personally um I, I will be playing that this weekend um i'm actually close to running back almost the exact 75 that mm -hmm. i bombed out of the last rcq with i i like the list a lot uh, a lot of things had to go wrong and you know i, I kind of talked about it on the show but uh, but we, you know, we've, we've also tested, you know, just the, like the quote unquote teamer builds. We've tested the four color builds. Um, we've, we tested a lot of them, but I, I think that just the fact that like Pr Prismari command exists, um, can, can, and, and pressures you in, in like an interesting way. And then like the way that it, so the thing, hello, let me say it this way. I think that hammers hammers good draws do hammer stuff, but when it doesn't do that, you're in trouble pretty often. Yeah, I think um, I think that if you don't have spell pierce in your hammer deck, and all the lists you... that we that we've been testing have been pretty close to wills, yeah. so they all have spell. Yeah, pierce. and and so if you, I'm just saying, if you don't have spell pierce in your deck, it's definitely not hammer favored. You're you're definitely in trouble, and that's why I chose to play blue this weekend because I realized that. Um, creativity was definitely creativity and specifically card force of vigor. I think the force of vigor decks were really well positioned this weekend. Um, like having spell pierce and Lavinia for those kinds of problems, um, was really important to me. The other thing is that, um, the 
it depends on the builds of creativity. The builds of creativity have been trending more and more towards being um, like very strong against Hammer or trying to be as strong as possible against Hammer. The list that I was talking about um, in this match was the Uriel list, which is the like the barely teamer blue red creativity deck, which is just like blue red creativity with Renin six, and then um, post board it has access to like. Sages two and three, Nature's Claim like one to three, um, and like has like main deck Mana Lake and like four spell pierce. Really, really lean on the interaction too, like burst lightning, lightning bolt. Um, I, I know, which, so I like, know which list you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the four commands. So that was like why it was kind of a nightmare. So there's so much for me to consider, but where um, like I came into the event right being prepared with that knowledge, but where um, you know, coming back to my always improving. Um, where I like realized I had this room to grow in that match was that um, I started playing around if my opponent had nature's claim as opposed to like a lightning bolt or a fire ice or uh, you know any of these other things they could have had when I didn't consider because I hadn't played the matchup enough to know that this is what like in the moment this is what a creativity player would be doing um that if they had nature's claim, they would have like killed my Urza saga or my Sigarda's aid in the in the like window of time I'm thinking about where I'm like putting my hammer with my Sigarda's aid triggered and I'm trying to play around these different removal spells. And it's something that like is that intricate that really um you know shows that those are the edges I have to have. But I think that I'm still like I, I thought that I was still like very able to win that match, even though uh, their deck's kind of built to beat I, mine. I actually think that the, the the line you just gave there is the line that should be the takeaway for both yourself and the listener, right? In order to win that matchup, you need to understand those edges. Like, understand where you have to gain an edge in the matchup. That doesn't mean that... And what what I think is... What I think gets lost on a lot of Magic players, and I want to hammer home here, but um, is that just because you're not favored in a matchup doesn't mean a matchup's like... Like, people love speaking hyperbole, but, like, this is a matchup specifically where if the hammer player knows what they're doing and the creativity player doesn't, the hammer player suddenly becomes favored. So understanding that matchup is really important, especially in current modern, where, like, they're two of the top five decks by a... They're really two of the top three decks by, like, a mile. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, like, um, you know, I think especially as the hammer player, like, and, and as I really, you know, was made aware of through making like three minor mistakes that i felt like cost me three matches is that when you're in the position of playing the deck that is a a very known quantity in the metagame very targeted and um you know has a lot of room to to navigate and to find those edges for yourself that if you're not grabbing those edges right now um you know sure you can be in a position to win even your tough, toughest matchups like that would have been me too owing my opponent if i'd made the right decision in that spot um, even through their deck being really constructed as the archetype in the best way to beat Hammer. Um, but if you aren't finding all those edges and you aren't really, really doing everything you can to present the right questions at the right time and really play, like, I mean, I, I would have had to play the best I've ever played with Hammer to to win all six of those matches. Um, and not say that I couldn't have done it, you know, if I had, uh, if I had spent more time practicing um, and been a little more diligent, I think I, I would have been in a much better better shape. But, you know, that's what you have to do to really win with Hammer and even those tight matchups. And I think that it might be the case, like, just back to your testing, it might be the case that, um, 
know, that's something that you might find if you play the match, like, 25 more times, your hammer pilot might start to learn more and more about it, and, like, it might come closer to, like, you know, Will's played a ton of hammer. He's played, like, infinite matches almost, you know, and he's, he's obviously incredibly good and um, probably finds those hippos better than, than most people and probably better than most of his creativity opponents, too. But I, I wonder if once, because there's kind of a real question gap of, like, how good are you at putting the creativity player in in that awkward spot as the, the hammer player? Like, um, I wonder if that would start to even out for you. Because I felt like it was really, really close. Like, I felt all, like every match play against creativity, no matter the build, um, some of the builds were a little easier. Like, I think that the, the five-color builds, because they're a little clunkier with the removal they have, they're not just all... Like, that the teamer deck was just all, like, one-mana removal spells, spell pierces, like really just catch you at any time um which is really tough to deal with but um yeah if you're if you're even in a bit of a clunky draw with the, the four color deck it's probably a little easier when you draw your spell pierces but yeah it is really close and that's like modern's just so good right now yeah. because i mean i lost so it i lost a hammer on my last rcq um myself and like I, I do think that i'm i at this point i think i'm a pretty competent uh player with with creativity so i agree with you that it's it's pretty close um so for me always improving has been focused a little bit differently uh this week um my wife and i made the decision and we like to be personal on this podcast so I, I wanted to share this during this segment that um i'm gonna stay home dead now i stayed at home with both my kids today uh my son had no school today so i was on dad duty full time um and you know we're, we're kind of working out like what that means, how how I edit content, how how I do things like that. Um, but additionally, like um, being raised in the religion I was raised in, this would be like a huge no-no. Like this, this there's a lot of religious trauma that I have to overcome uh, to kind of be willing to do this. And it's really interesting to, uh, I don't know, put myself through that. And like, I had a ton of fun today. Like. I enjoyed spending an entire day with my kids, just me and them, making them happy, making them breakfast. Like, uh, you know, I, I miss work a lot, but there, there, there comes a point where, like, you know, we we were basically out of money for a babysitter. Um, you know, babysitters right now are really expensive, and you know, we were talking about what today was like. You know what, like, but like. I think that, you know, scheduling nap times and, like, getting the stuff that I need to get done to, like, try to find a new job and, like, um, the stuff that I need to do for magic, like, I can have a an 18-month-old. Like, that's totally fine. And kind of learning to navigate that and learning what that means for me in both the future of magic um, is a fun challenge, but also one that I wanted to just kind of share on the podcast, like... Um, you know, I, I've had listeners talk to me about, you know, how the success of my career made them like, you know, work harder in theirs and like all kinds of stuff. But I hope you know that like, and something that I'm trying to learn is that your self-worth isn't really tied up in that type of stuff. Um, but I know that today my self-worth, um, was, uh, tied up in how happy my kids were still not as healthy. But still not super healthy, but I certainly made my kids really happy today. Um, I got to play a bunch of Magic. Um, I got to um, 
you know, work, uh, play Pokemon TCG with my kid. And uh, I got to, like, I did show notes today, Abe. Uh, it, like, I, I did four tournaments in for the Power Rankings today. For those who don't know, we're doing Power Rankings for Pioneer today. That's all of you, unless you looked at the title. Uh, I got to do four challenges, and I did it so fast and so easy because I was on a time crunch. And, like, we talked, uh, I think it was last week, you and I were talking about, like, how being under pressure, we both really like that due to our ADHD. And it really made me hammer home what I needed to do to get the show notes done today, um, which was really cool. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really, a really awesome that like you're, you know, being really open about like that transition and, you know, what you're doing with your life right now. And like how that's obviously like change constantly comes with, in anything change constantly comes with like you know growing pains and and its own challenges but um yeah i mean i think that that's that's awesome that you're like finding ways to make it all all line up as that change is like you know definitely definitely a big one and i'm glad you're gonna get to spend more time with the with the little ones yeah i also just love both my kids i feel really lucky to have such awesome children um i want to talk about patreon really quick um no Patreon shoutouts this week, but due to the last segment, the Always Improving segment where I talked about this, um, there was a really famous magic video, Abe. Uh, and uh, it got two different types of responses, but I'm going to just plug it really quick. It's um, the video that changed Tolarian Academy's life, where Tolarian Academy got fired from his job, posted a video that says, can I have a dollar? Go to my Patreon, give me one dollar. Um... I want to just say that if listeners did that for this show, I I wouldn't need to get a new job. Um, in fact, I don't think Abe and Mason would need jobs. Like, that's the kind of listener base that we have in a lot of ways where um, we could really support ourselves through the show. Um, I, I totally get that not every listener can give a dollar. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, if you've ever thought about giving to the show before, um, you know, I, I will be open that my family is getting pretty close to struggling right now after three months of unemployment. And I just wanted to be honest about that um, on this segment, talking about the Patreon. That being said, if you want to donate more than $1, we have some pretty cool benefits. We're live right now, Abe, uh, to patrons. We have patrons in the chat um, on YouTube for our live show. We've got um, wristbands in my trunk right now that need to be sent out. Uh, we've uh, that are, to be fair, part of that's my fault. And did I tell this story on the podcast? I think I told you and Mason. I tried to send every patron three wristbands. And the mail carriers were not having it. And historically... They were, they were I being only, pretty not, not chill. Yeah. I, historically, I've sent one with like a thank you letter and it's taped to it. But I was like, whatever. Like, this will fit in a, in a mailbox. So, like, it should work. And they're like, no, you can't do this. So, I, I spent like two weeks patch, packaging them for every patron we had last year, even if they had left. And then the, the post office was like, no, you can't send these. And I'm like, all right, well, I got to redo this whole thing then. So, uh, they, they will get, they will get sent though, probably, probably this, this in the next 30 days, actually. Um, cause I already have the new, the new stuff made. So, um, additionally, like we, uh, if, if, if you're not able to make the live show, you get early access, um, we got a, dis a Discord for $5 or more, where people get access to deck lists. Um, 
And, you know, just to toot my own horn here, Abe, uh, week two of Standard, I told people, regardless of what was happening with Mono Black, with Black Red, with, like, everything that was happening, Standard was like, hey, I just want you to know Grixis is the best deck. It's not close. Like, you should be playing Grixis. You're like, yeah, yeah, Spencer, that's great. But, like, Black Red's doing the best. I was like, I don't care. Like, I'm just letting you know Grixis is the best deck. The receipts are in there. Yeah, I I, I just, I, you know, to toot my own horn, I'm pretty good at Standard. And, uh, you know, like we have a standard channel where I'm doing that kind of stuff. So, like, RCQ coming up, or RC coming up, standard. So, check it out. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying, Abe. That, you know, honestly, it's a good point. Regional Championship is coming up. It is standard. <laughs> and, and our boy Spencer does be having the reads. <laughs> so, uh, I just, on, we want to give, finally, uh, we want to give a shout out to our former sponsor, GameGrid. Uh, we were been with GameGrid for six months, um, and we're transitioning away from that. They're transitioning away, and we just really appreciate them. Like, they did those awesome tournaments for us. We were able to um, give people trophies and, and stuff, and, like, we'll continue those tournaments. We'll find a way to continue to do them. Um, but, man, I just really appreciate uh, what GameGrid did for us and the support that our listeners showed them and the buying cards from them, and I hope that you continue to support them because... Uh, what Jordan offers at Gingrid Lehigh is really awesome. So, all right, let's go into the power rankings though. So, for those who don't know, this is a staple of constructive criticism, Abe. We've been doing this since the dawn of time, as I would say. It's, it's written in the old text. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, how do points work? So, uh, the way it works is you get six points for a first, five points for a second, four for a top four. Three, or uh, four for a top four, three for a top eight, two for a top 16, and then if we do it, one for a top 32. Uh, what events are included this time, Abe? Do you know? Okay, I just pressed the points. I didn't actually tell you. Um, I believe it was probably the last two weeks of challenges. It is. That is. It is the last four challenges, one of them being the challenge showcase. Uh, so... Before we get into this, though, um, Mason's not here to fight with me on this, but did you know that we have six decks that we're going to talk about today? Did you know that the six decks we're going to talk about are the same six decks that are the six decks in the top six of MTG Goldfish and Pioneer? That... Is it is shocking to you? Yes. Um, You know, actually, it's... Not that shocking to me that that's the case, because I really think Pioneer has gotten to a pretty stable, healthy place since the RCs. It's amazing what happens when there's a whole big tournament, a big set of few tournaments people actually care about, and people play a bunch of hours of Pioneer, and then they all come together and try to beat each other, and then, wow, we have a metagame. It's crazy. Yeah, so I, I just want to say that typically this show moves away from goldfish data because of the way that goldfish operates these days. Um, but in this case, like if you had spent the last couple weeks on goldfish, looking at goldfish stuff, the aggregate actually tells you not exactly what the winner's metagame looks like, but like you would know what to worry about. And I, I just wanted to call that out. So let's go to our honorable mention first with 15 points. We have blue white control. Uh, I also want to mention that Band Control did just win. It's, I want to be clear, though. 
a 60-card version of Man Control, did just win the NRG championship. Yeah, I mean, most of the... Um, there's what? There's, like, the Yorion uh, Blue-Eye Control in... Uh, and then there's the Kahira Blue-Eye Control currently in Pioneer. Those are, like, yeah. the two... Yeah, and I, I, I guess I should mention that it is Kahira that that did well in the the band versions. Um, but what do you, I? I actually think this deck is hot, man. Like I actually think that if there's a deck, if there's a time where you and I could go to our roots, Abe, in Pioneer, it might be right now. Like, legitimately. Yeah, I think um, the biggest reason because if if you talk about like blue eye control it was like kind of in this up and down cycle of being like oh blue eye's just so good and then it's like well blue eye's like not very good they just have a bunch of like absorbs in their deck and that's pretty easy to beat uh especially once the best deck was just like a land of deck you'd fall behind so fast on mana and on board and then like a lot of your cards didn't really catch you up in a meaningful way and like it was pretty bad for blue eye what has changed though um and what i think is really lending to like blue eye slowly um kind of clawing its way up the rankings and really you know week after week putting up a little bit better of a finish than the last it seems um when i've been paying attention to the format is lay down arms because the biggest like i was saying one of the biggest issues with blue white outside of kind of a little bit of an issue with hitting all its land drops sometimes um is that it so easily fell behind to cheap creatures because it didn't have good cheap removal so, like, Elanor Elves on turn one, there's not really, before Laydown Arms, there's, like, Isolate, but there's not really a broad, playable answer to anything that anyone's playing proactively. And as much as you'd think, like, oh, yeah, Control Deck, good against maybe a deck full of creatures, it really was relying on, like, Supreme Verdicts to, to do a lot of heavy lifting, and that wasn't even, like, necessarily a good answer. Uh, it hadn't been for a long time. But now, because of Laydown Arms, against a lot of the small creature decks and the Elanor Elves decks, um, this one tool and being able to play a mana base of a bunch of of planes so that you can um, you can answer those cheap creatures early, be it like you know just answering a fable for only one mana, a flipped fable, or answering the fable token, or answering the land or elves on turn one. All these things really add up to a bunch of things down the line where then the more expensive stuff that they're trying to do in blue white is a lot easier to do, and the turns where you're able to like answer a creature. And then still leave up permission and not have to choose between answering a problem on the board and answering a problem that could develop have really made this deck's positioning just continue to increase. And so I'm not surprised to see as the honorable mention. Um, if you haven't paid attention to Pioneer since maybe the RC, it might be a surprise. But yeah, it's definitely like probably one of the biggest shifts. Yeah. Uh, I, and honestly, dust off your prayer extremes, right? Like the, the fact that this deck has access to so many dual land planes without even having to like touch trilands right and then like once you get into the triland territory you have you you really do have even more uh if you want them really does help lay down arms um a card that uh you know i i know that i was pretty high on going into this last set i think it might have been one of my hits Just, See, uh... i think it was mine i think you're wrong i think that if we go back it's actually mine wow well I we, someone had it. I remember so, talking about. It. I, we did talk about it. I'm pretty sure that my we the the joke was that I was you on that episode. Remember, because I had like multiple white cards. Oh yeah, yep. 
That's true. I like that you thought it was yours, though. <laughs> I, listen, man, I like the card. I, like I, the I card. do too. I do too. Uh, no, I actually think the deck is really good. I think that like it also Pioneer has so many good blue white control cards. Um, it it's rough though because like the, so many of them are situational. And one of the things that I didn't get on this list is like even blue black control has some amount of winning. Like I think blue black control actually won one of these challenges. And the the problem that I have with that deck is it doesn't have something like lay down arms. Um, you know it, it has fatal push and it has uh, it has if you want to you can play bloodthirst uh, bloodthirsty or bloodthirst blood chief's thirst blood chief's thirst. Thank you. But it, I, I just don't find it to be the same. Like, later on arms just cleanly does the thing, right? Like, you just have to play the planes, you play the card, you're good. Um, there's there's no extra work that goes into that. And, like, the creatures in this format don't really get bigger than five mana uh, worth of worth of pips. So it it, it, it really scales well. Um, and also and, exiling is so, yeah, so, it really so is. important. Especially, like, you know, even against decks like Mono Green, right? Like, uh, it, it really it really hits home there. So, I'm a huge fan of this deck. I think, like, Wandering Emperor has been that that card for so long. And just being able to see it really uh, take, take center stage. Uh, I think everybody expected Temporary Lockdown. I know that Farewell was a card on our... Uh, I think that, was, that one was also mine. Apparently, I'm a blue-eyed control stand, and I don't know it. Um, but, like, there there are so many cards that Pioneer has made up, but the, they haven't, like, coalesced, if that makes sense, into the right deck until now. Yeah, I think that, uh, I think that we'll, and we'll get to it later in the, uh, in the power rankings, but I think that some other things about the format have really changed that have made it so that Laydown Arms solves the big problem, like the biggest glaring weakness in the blue-eyed deck. But there's a lot of other things going on that have kind of pushed blue white also up in uh, yeah in its playability, and, and that's been that's been really helpful. And we got a blue white stand in the Discord, so if you want to head on over to Patreon.com/slash/cmtg, Mikey's in the Discord, always always toting that blue white. So, uh, green white angels comes in with 16 points. Th- listen, I'm gonna be transparent. I have thought two of these decks have been historically bad. They both did two of them did really well. This is one of them. Um. Abe, talk to me. Why is Green Green White Angels coming in at number five? Yeah, so um, one of the big things about Pioneer is that at a certain point, a lot of the games are just about big battlefield messes um, and about like getting out resources. And the thing that's really changed for Angels is uh, Kalo's Reconstruction. The white 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 x uh look at the top seven put x creatures or artifacts from among them into play uh and then put the rest in the bottom so it's kind of like giving you just additional copies of collected company to the point where now your deck is just 27 creatures eight virtual collected companies some of which scale even bigger than that um and then a bunch of lands and they have just enough tools really to um just enough tools to keep the game like from getting out of hand against certain combo decks or decks that might go over the top of them. But they also just put together a really, really dominating board presence against other decks 
that are trying to uh, to build a board presence. Something that um, I talked about a lot back in 2019 Modern when Bant Spirits was like one of the best decks, if not like the best creature deck. And kind of like the idea of Bant Spirits versus humans is that, um, you know, humans was really good, a little bit better being disruptive, had different kinds of disruption, a little faster. But Spirits was doing all the same things, except it flew. All the creatures had flying, and uh, they really didn't care about what you were doing on the board. So when it came to those matchups, they were advantaged. Um, in the same way, Angels just gains a ton of life and goes way over the top in all battlefield battles, except for ones where, um, where like, you know, Mono Green, like, Nykthos is way out of hand and combos off. But because they have, like, Skyclave Apparition and Four Collect Company and for reconstruction they kind of find those ways to interact a little easier and then their cyborg has a bunch of answers to that too so they're really good at just kind of saying you can't do anything unfair and i'm gonna have the biggest board and so uh yeah angels has really been just good at that for for a long time because so much of the format has been about creatures and having like you know nice big battlefield permanence and what is nicer than a big flying thing that gained you for life when it came in and now everything's huge uh it's 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 not much and it puts a lot of things into play very often so i you know what this is the spencer toots own porn podcast because i listen you you identified something really important about kayla's reconstruction because i was like someone's gonna do this like this is this is genesis way for like like this is just gonna happen um turns out that if everything that you put in has flying and it's cheap it's definitely good enough like i uh it's funny like this is not where i saw this deck uh, this card when i when i talked about this but as i was looking at decks um about the last yeah i would say the last two weeks i was uh, it would be lying if there wasn't a grin on my face being like yeah this makes sense this is this is what we said on our podcast when, when talking about this card um yeah i i think this deck does a really good job of being like mono white splashing company but also getting access to things like shaper sanctuary um i think that uh depending on the builds you know that you can do light green splashes depending on kind of what you want to do but it you get it almost all for free um so huge fan um i just want to also shout out I also called it Nykthos does in fact make an appearance in these decks now. Uh, and it really does help when you're thinking of Kalos Reconstruction. I literally said this, Abe, I just, I have to just, I need to, <laughs> people need to listen to me. I said this. I mean, this is what yeah, I said. I think also Angels, because it has um, like Resplendent Angel. Yeah. And like it has, well, it's a couple things, right? Getting to cut more of the like random green stuff they might have had and getting to play just collect companies as the green cards and then also getting to like nick those with all of its white pips that it's now getting even yeah. more of off of reconstruction and then channeling that into like resplendent angel activations right and giving the whole team like huge buffs that is a very real worth the one nick those right uh worth the one nick those cost and your mana can support it now now that you have Brushland, um, some of the lists I'm looking at have overgrown farmland. Oh yeah, Brent. I think the mana is going to get even better with um, with uh, the next set when we get the fast lands as well. The rest of the cycle, 
uh, for the allied colors. Wait, and hold so, on. Yeah, is that real life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was announced today, I think. Was it announced, or is that off of the? No, that was. I, I saw a tweet from Carmen today. Oh well, there we go. We're getting. So, were you telling me I'm getting Razor Verge Thicket in this thing? Yeah, yeah, Let's exactly. Go. Let's go. I didn't so see that today. yeah, I mean, you can afford to play a uh, one colorless land, especially when you only have the one. I think that's the only colorless land in the deck, and it everything is. else is a possible white source. Yeah, so with white built, everything else it, is possibly it, it, a white but, source, except for your pathways, which can be green technically sources. Technically, is a colorless land. The only thing you can use it for is collect a company, but it also acts as a spell. This deck plays 25. Right, it's also a very relevant spell. Yeah, and, and the deck plays 25 plus a flip land, so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you're playing the cleric, so. Uh, all right. What is next? Next would be everyone's favorite, uh, favorite deck coming in at 17 points. The most fun deck in Pioneer. Mono green Nykthos. Um, I don't know what else there really is to say about this deck. Um, I, 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 I will say that it's positioning in the power rankings if you compare it to just the metagame shares on Goldfish. Um, Nykthos Ramp is the second most played deck in Pioneer according to MTG Goldfish. Mm-hmm. And for it to come in um, in fourth is definitely uh, a bit of a a bit of a disappointment um, if you're someone who is a mono green fan because it should be doing a lot better than this. It, if you look at the the metagame shares, it has a full, you know, like five percent on on angels, and for it to perform like only one point better right. says a lot about how the format has become and continue to get even more hostile for the the mono green Nykthos deck, um, but also still how the deck is powerful enough to compete. Like, it's underperforming yeah. compared to its metagame share, but, um... Honestly... It, it, and it hasn't improved as much. The, the but list it's, that won the, the challenge on the 14th is, I think, one card off, or two cards off from what I recommended uh, Quentin Pierce, former coast, play at the RC. You know, it's just missing a one-of Teferi for a one-of Lovestruck Beast. And I think it's the exact list. Uh, I think I even recommended Hydras in the board. I, I think it actually is just one card off of what I recommended for the RC. I, I think that this deck is good. It's a top five deck. I think that that's undisputable. But I think it being the boogeyman is over with. That being said, like like the number one deck that we'll talk about later, I think you have to respect this deck or else you're in trouble. Like, if you just yeah. don't respect decks, then they're going to take over a format. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, a couple things really have moved Nykthos Ramp downward. I think that um, Black Red specifically, which is also one of the... It's actually the most played deck in Pioneer, according to MTG Goldfish, with just a, a 1% edge on um, on Nykthos. And together they make up like 30% of the format, just about. Um, like just between a quarter and 30%, uh, like 28% of the format is is those two decks. Before, I would say that Nykthos was, like, heavily advantaged against uh, against Rakdos. I think now it's close to just advantaged. I think that in all the same kinds of long games, it's advantaged, but the games can get a lot shorter thanks to Misery Shadow. And also, um, 
the Rakdos decks playing a bunch of Pithing Needle has changed that too. Where um, you know what's the... funny? I, I, can I, I don't mean to like derail this, and we're not talking about this deck on the show, but um, it, obviously, you know, Ginger, who came on the show to talk about the deck. If you want to learn about that deck um, before the RC, listen to that podcast. Uh, he also did a pretty in-depth talk about the changes to the deck on First Strike with Andy. Both of them friends of the show, so don't check that out. But have you seen the Mono Black deck? Yeah, I'd seen versions of the Mono Black deck over time. So that deck uh, had a top had a top eight. Um, there, so there's a Mono Black version of this rack of the Rakdos deck instead. That like really leans into the misery shadow stuff. Uh, that I'm not I'm not gonna lie, looks kind of hot. Like yeah, there was actually a conversation I had with a friend of mine who played that deck at an RCQ where I was playing green, and we were kind of debriefing after the tournament where we actually played for top eight against each other, and I uh, I eked it out in three games where he was like, yeah, I mean I just wish I had like something a little better to do in the early game than like gifted aetherborn but gifted aetherborn's like the best i've got and i was like we literally were at we were getting sushi together and i'm like we're waiting for our food i'm like scrolling madly through um through every two drop in pioneer that's that's a black card and i'm like yeah it really is the best you got and and misery shadow is a potent enough card that i think it really um could swing things especially in the mono green matchup where the play pattern of misery shadow into removal spells um for the devotion permanence and getting that exile effect, getting the most out of that is one of the ones where you beat mono green a lot and you take a lot less damage to your mana, but you probably are a little worse um, against like red black itself. But yeah, like that, that card definitely, and kind of just the thing about Nick does, right. We talked for a long time about how there's not really a lot of room up for the green deck. The green deck is about as good and streamlined as it can be. There's only really three wiggle room slots anymore. And, um, maybe three in the sideboard if you're willing to shave down your card wish board. So it's like, it's really hard to make a meaningful improvement there with a set release beyond what happened with Storm the Festival, unless something can change really structurally in the deck. Yeah. But, you know, every other deck gets better cards every set. So it's, it's kind of natural that this happens. Yeah. And and for what it's worth, I want to, I want to be clear that the, uh, the, the one that I, the deck that I was talking about, I got fifth place on the 14th, the one that Nykthos actually won. Um, but it, it started 7-0. It was actually first place going into top 8. Um, it plays 4 Invoke Despairs, um, which was a card that people were trying in Rakdos for a while to try and win the Mirror. Um, it, uh, honestly, like I think that there's a lot of room still for these Rakdos decks. That, and I think that's why people like Ginger have so much success, is like, you know, people are just cutting red and trying this, but like all of the cards that they're playing could are still playable in Rakdos if you build it right. I think Rakdos um, continues to be, in my opinion, the boogeyman in the format. I know a lot of people didn't think that going to the RCs. There were some RCs that it performed better than others, but like to me, I still think this is the best deck in Pioneer. Rakdos? Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that Rakdos is like. And I've said this before when the question was like, is green the best deck or Rakdos the best deck? That uh, I don't think either deck... Green is like less fun and worse if it's the best deck for the format to be enjoyable. And I'm kind of glad that because both both the fact that a lot of the decks that we didn't aren't talking about in the Power Rankings today, a lot of decks we talked about in the past, like yeah. Phoenix, 
and like uh, mono white are still really popular and very playable and good. Uh, you know, they can win a lot of matches. People register them all the time and it's, it's still a good choice. Those decks are good against mono green. And there's been a lot of work done in saying, okay, what is a deck I can play that's good against the field and good against mono green? It's kind of pushed it out. Black red, as we talked about, um, and I've talked a lot on even that episode with, uh, with misplaced ginger, like it's not as exploitable as green, but it also means that if this is the best deck in the format, is for someone to play a pile of like Thoughtseize, removal spells, some creatures. The format's in a really good spot, and I think that it is still kind of like the deck to beat. It's something you have to have a plan for because it's going to be attacking your deck in such a fair and good way. Well, I think I think the reason that you know we're talking about green right now and is that it asks a good question. Like, you know, there are lots of decks that get to go big. You know, Fire's decks got points. Um, those ask a big question. Creativity combo. Uh, had a top eight where, for those who don't know, in, th in this format, it's World Spine Worm plus Xenagos. Like, you only creativity for two, and then they, they die. Um, but th this format has so much going on. There were there were four colors fires deck, five colors fire decks. You know what deck we're not talking about this time that we talked about last time? I mean, you already mentioned Phoenix, but like, oh, you know what? That was a bonus episode. Now that I'm thinking about it, the last time we talked about Pioneer was a bonus episode for Patreon only. Yeah, I think that might be the case. Yeah. So you don't need, like, we're, like, referencing something that a lot of people might not have heard. But at, uh, Grease Fang. Grease Fang had one top 16 total in the last two weeks. Yeah, that doesn't really surprise me. I think that, like you were saying, with, um, with Monogreen kind of asking good questions of the format, which are, like, you know, it actually sets a lot of the ground rules. It's like, you need to be able to kill Lanor Elf. You need to be able to answer a four-mana Planeswalker. It's going to generate a lot of value. You need to be able to like deal with the fact that I might have some creatures in play that can attack you. Like, I can put a good clock on the ground. These are all things you kind of have to be prepared for when you're registering your deck and have a plan to be either doing some of that yourself or, you know, answering an, enough of that. And um, one of the biggest strengths of Grease Fang was that it was just proactively asking a big question. And um, I think that now and especially with uh i think a big breakthrough is rakdos um and a lot of decks now adopting the whole pithing needle tech i think that just playing a bunch of pithing needles has actually been a really really big problem for the grease fang decks because if you pithing needle the vehicle they just can't crew it and they can't attack you and that in addition to the rest of the um the rest of the scope of the format being uh you know more and more about less and less about kind of punking people fast and more and more about uh, like being able to play a game of of uh, of like muscling the opponent out, right? Like things like Angels performing well shows that it really can just be about getting on board. Um, Crusang doesn't do that meaningfully enough, I think. Well, I mean, even we're not going to talk. We don't have Mono White on here, but like obviously Mono White did really well at the 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 Energy Championship, right? And it it goes to show that the format is not about what it was about even two months ago. Uh, next up, we have Gruul coming in at third with 19 points. Um, I want to be clear that if we had included all vehicle decks, that this actually would come in at second because there was, in fact, a black-green vehicles deck uh, that played Thoughtseize. And, oh, man, shaking your head hard. I actually tried it today. I have some thoughts. Um, black-green vehicles playing Thoughtseize and Fatal Push uh, and then not playing the red cards. Uh, why are you shaking your head, Abe? I just, I, 
because people Listen, force this rock gonna, down this is gonna sound like it's got some hate behind it there is no hate okay okay i've just seen doom wake take a perfectly good rule deck that has a position in the metagame due to the threats it plays that wasn't who then, did it was it that is yeah it's a doom wake deck doom wake did he's that? worked a ton on the deck and like i, I understand like the rationale all makes sense but I think that you lose a lot of the edge of like very specific things to the gruel deck um, by by cutting out your red. I think that just being like, I think you're probably also just worse against them. Well, as somebody who plays red black as a result, and I think that's really really hard place to be in. Well, as as somebody who has played a metric ton of gruel vehicles it is my favorite deck in the format i know shocking people would think that my favorite deck would be monogreen it's not it's, it is actually gruel um i thought that there were m things that were sweet about the black green deck but i, I have a really problem with an eight elf Thoughtseize deck just like on principle yeah. uh that is not where i want my Thoughtseize deck to be um i played today uh, i actually think i'm 3-0 with the deck right now and all of my losses came from when I drew Thoughtseize and then too many elves. I, I think that there's a fundamental flaw that things like Stomp uh, take out of the deck. And then additionally, um, the way that the deck was constructed, uh, I, I think that... I, I honestly, like, just looking at this format, I, I think that not having access to Rending Volley is a mistake. Um, I, I actually think that the red sideboard cards... Are so good. I'm going to record a deck tech probably this week on Gruul and how why a Crone War Plus vehicles is so good. It's like, so good. Like I, because I think that people <laughs> it's don't a nice understand. I think that people don't understand the interaction very well of like how you just freely get to kill their things. Yeah, you get to kill their their thing you're giving back, and you get to attack with your vehicle that yeah, turn. It's, it's nuts. It's it is. Uh, yeah, it, it's pretty insane. Um and there's not there's not like a good comp in in black for that because you're it's like an aggressively slanted one-sided wrath. It's like there's just yeah. not a thing that you get out of the other side. Yeah, the the way that I would explain it, and this is kind of like the last thing I want to say about green black vehicles, is that like I understand what Doomix trying to do, and I think that there is a lot of merit to it. But the way that I see it and the way it's played out and the way that I feel about it is like if you saw chocolate and peanut butter and we're like, that's a good combo. And then you saw peanut butter and jelly and we're like, that's a good combo. And then you were like, what about chocolate and jelly? You're like, you know, that's not going to be the worst thing I've ever experienced together. But we're looking at the, like, it, it doesn't actually just work like that. And um, so hold on. I think that where do I think you come, the gold I, I want to actually understand where people land on chocolate and jelly. And I need you to leave a comment uh here on the youtube channel uh no I, I honestly i think that gruel i think gruel does a really good job of like it, so so i want to i want to be clear there's two versions of gruel there is the reckless storm seeker versions and then there are the non-reckless storm seeker versions what what's really nice is that there are two versions because i think people are forced to play against you as though you have reckless storm seeker no matter what. Uh, which I think is to the benefit of Gruul. Uh, I think I think that's a huge deal. 
where uh, not a lot of decks get advantage to where like if you know the format uh, you know that this card exists in this specific deck. It's the only deck that plays it. Uh, and if you don't play around it, you die. Like, there's just so many times where you just like, oh, I'm dead. Uh, I, I love it. I, I think this deck is extremely fun to play. I think the fact that it gets to play eight elves and werewolf pack leader is really sweet. Uh, we've seen a ton of different versions. I actually think the version that 4 owed a prelim is actually a decklist from our Discord, uh, straight up. So there are tons of different ways to build this deck. There are... Yeah, I, I, I think that this is one of the strongest decks and, in my opinion, the best aggro deck. I think it is better than Mono White as far as, like, aggro decks go. I think it has a really good Mono White matchup. Um, th this is, this is like, the the type of aggro deck that I love seeing in formats. What about you, Abe? Yeah, I think... Um... And one thing that we're about to get to as we move on here is that there is like a pretty big um like a pretty big need for your deck to be able to move as fast as the gruel deck as like reckless storm seeker specifically allows the gruel deck to move in some matchups um like there there is a real need to pressure your opponent quickly in some matchups and like in the matchups where you don't have to do that a lot of the time lovestruck beast and uh like your bone crusher giants and your chariots and your boats will just be big enough and i think reckless storm seeker really does an important job in all the matchups where it is about speed and allowing your deck to be the rest of it muscle and this one aspect of a little bit of a turbo button for the matchups where you really need it um specifically like the random combo decks um and things like like lotus field which we'll talk about um, or even against like mono green, a lot of your draws that you end up winning with where it don't involve the Chrome War, you just need to you like need, have you your start that's so fast. You need to be really quick to beat mono green. Like it, it's a, like you're playing on a similar axis to them, right? You're you're asking a, one of the same questions: Can you beat Elf? Well, if they can beat Elf, then you ask a bet. You ask a different type of question than them, right? Their question is: Okay, well, what if I? What if my whole deck is ramp? And your question yeah. is: What if? you don't answer this question and then you die. And yeah. And also there's an amount of games where like, as a rule, you might have like a stomp for an elf or something, but if right. you're going to spend that mana and that time interacting with the greens mana development, which is so key to do when you have those removal spells, you need ways to kind of get that time back. Right. And the haste from storm seeker is really, really important in doing that too. I yeah. think that like that, that's another issue I have with the, with the green black decks. It kind of disregards that need for your mid-rangey shell of beef to be able to like actually yeah one of the like cards... be, it, interact with the format well you need a card like Stormseeker. i don't want to dump on the green black deck because i i don't think that it's like bad i just think that thought no. sees eight elves is like you could just play six elves is like i think that there's a way around it that like you could play like six elves two Varaska in the main and i think it would be like a much better deck um but yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of merits yeah, to Green Black. I don't yeah. like sound like it's yeah. I, I, I just, just I don't want to dunk on it because I, I don't. I also think that like yeah. I also think that like five removal spells, like two Blood Chiefs, there's three Fatal Pushes, like a way to go. And I don't think that the idea of like Golgari vehicles is out of the question. But I think that you're, the point that you're making of like they a Crowan War you can't build reckless, it the same way. Yeah, you, like they're the, one of them is an uh, it, it's like levels of aggressive mid-range right 
where uh, this gruel deck is i'm i have the ability to be the control deck but that's that is like a tertiary game plan yeah i can be bigger than you yes and as long as i'm bigger than you yes. i'll be okay with those kind of draws but but that's for Golgari, a lot of the games it needs to be bigger. And that's where Thoughtseize really comes in and making right. sure that it can stay bigger. But Gruul has the opportunity to say, I can be smaller and I can be lower to the ground because I have Stormseeker Chariot or you know, Stormseeker Skyscraper, whatever yeah. those are. Yeah, I, I huge fan of this deck. Um, we already talked a little bit about the number two deck this coming in uh, with, I think, 22 points is Rakdos. Um, as I said... Uh, if we had included Golgari, this would actually come in at number three. I, I think this is the best deck in Pioneer. Um, it's The thing that it's doing really well is that it's not asking a lot of questions. It's a really good clock. Like, I think the, the clock of this deck is super underrated and people underestimate that. Like, even myself, like, I myself have talked about, like, how I don't... I, I didn't think, like, um, you know, just... I mean, overall, just different cards in this deck uh, would would line up well. Uh, for example, like Graveyard Trespasser is a card that, like, the second Liliana was printed, I was like, I can't ever imagine a world continuing to play Graveyard Trespasser in a world with Liliana. But because of the pressure that it puts on the format, it continues to see play. And Liliana is relegated to, like, Mono Black or, like, relegated to Cyborg tier. Uh, this, this deck clocks you really well. Um... And while Shieldrin has fallen out of favor in Standard, uh, it's actually still really hard to kill in Pioneer. So the format is warped around Shieldrin in um, in Standard to the point where a lot of decks just don't play it anymore. They're like, all right, it's not worth this fight. It's four mana do nothing. That is not the case yet in Pioneer. And it might be impossible to be the case for a little while. Um, you know, so I, I know that some lists... Uh, have have gone to splitting Shaldred with uh back to like Kalidus and stuff like that just different different ways to get around that type of stuff but it comes down to the same thing like if you're going to kill Shaldred you're probably going to kill whatever other four drop other than Chandra that they play um I I don't know like this deck just has the flexibility that it needs to continue to be a top three deck for as long as I can foresee a what about you yeah, I think, um, you know, if you look at the Pioneer Showcase Challenge, Rakdos actually had a pretty um, a pretty dud performance considering how popular it is. But it's really popular for a reason, and it it's it's really well-equipped to handle all of the, the breadth of the format. And, you know, we're only talking about six decks here, but, you know, we've already talked about two other kind of fringe builds of decks. Can you imagine how good Spirits would be if this deck didn't exist, though? I mean... Like... People still play Spirits and win I know, but I'm saying, like... Like, this deck... What I'm saying is that, like, you know... Right now, we're only talking about a snapshot of, like, the top of the format and what's really, really performing well, but the format is so much broader than just the five or six decks that we're discussing... There's, like, so much going on in terms of, you know, uh, Fires of Invention decks or, you know, Spirit decks or the Creativity deck. The Mono White deck. There's a ton of different decks attacking the format from different angles. And Rakdos is the only deck that really feels like it's prepared to interact with all of them. It brings tools to really... I guess Blue White does as well. But 
Rakdos both brings tools to fight all of those from an angle of I'm going to put you to the test of answering what I'm doing, as well as I'm going to put you to the test of we like weathering through my interaction. I, and so, you know, it just is a really, really solid mid-range deck. It has all of the tools to fight everything. Um, it's definitely the most consistently, like, you're not going to have many matchups where it's like super all over the place, right? If you're playing mono green, you might have good matchups against half the room, bad matchups against half the room. Rakdos, it's pretty much the same all the way through. And, you know, um, that is really the strength of the deck, that it is it is that consistently good at doing that. Yeah, it, in all honesty, like, you know, earlier in the show, we, we talked about the, the Hammer Time versus Creativity matchup, right? Where, like, knowing the matchup and understanding the matchup is like, you know, we have a joke on this podcast that's ancient old. A lot of listeners probably don't even remember it. But, you know, knowing is the half the battle, G.I. Joe, like, it is was... You know, we were getting shirts made that said "Knowing is half the battle again," and a flathead screwdriver still works on a Phillips screw a large percentage of the time. And being able to use that Phillips screwdriver and use that tool when it works for that situation is what this deck is trying to do. And I, I yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I think that it also, you know, you see it in the way that the deck. If, if you go and look at MTG Goldfish and you look at all the different Rakdos decks, the ones that really perform well, and something that I think might even be true about why it performed not so well in the showcase, is that the showcase's metagame is so much less predictable because it is an event for, you know, the the highest level of the, of the, the qualified players, right? Everyone's, like, really trying hard to win that event and really do things that are... Um, you know, not just playing the same 75 again the same way someone might at a challenge or an RCQ where it's really about consistency um, and just like, you know, kind of jamming an event. People put a lot of effort into it and do a lot of things that are kind of off the beaten path. And it's a lot harder for a deck like Rakdos to be prepared for that. But currently Rakdos has found ways to adapt to all of the changes in the format um, and, and retain plans for all of the important decks. And being on top of that week to week, if you're someone who can do that, right, like, like Misplaced Ginger does that a lot, and he wins a lot with red black, and so um, that's really like the strength of the deck is its ability to do that. But if you're ever caught with the wrong seventy-five, it can feel like much more disastrous than if you show up with the right one. If you show up with the right one, you might just feel like you have the tools for everything. If you show up with the wrong one, you feel like you're playing the wrong deck for the wrong tournament, and you know your days are pretty quick. Let's talk about being caught with the wrong seventy-five with our number one deck, and I actually don't mean it the way that people probably expect me to mean it. I think historically i have said this deck is utter garbage and you should not play it uh but i don't think that i can say that if, it, if it's coming in with these results um and that is uh hidden strings combo the lotus field deck and i want to be clear like i'm i i love being wrong because it gives me opportunities to learn um i looked at a lot of these deck lists today um and I'm going to be honest, I have a lot to learn because I still don't see how this deck performs this well aid. Yeah, so um, there's a couple of reasons why Hidden Strings does so well. And the first one is that uh, they found a way to make their deck just a little bit faster in spots. Um in order a little to... faster. They're at least two turns faster than they were at the beginning of the RCQ season, right? Yeah. I mean, 
Hope Tender, the 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 addition of that technology, which is um, if you don't know Hope Tender, you know All Star from Hour of Devastation. Um, it is a creature that has one mana tap, untap target land, and has one mana exert Hope Tender, untap two target lands. So when you have your Lotus Field set up uh, and you have this card, it's like having an additional hidden strings um, just kind of sitting around. Or uh, like it just enables you to do a lot more in your turn. Um, and it allows you to compete with kind of a thing that was holding back hidden strings in some matchups of where you'd play against a deck like Mono Green and you would actually just be not that much faster or even more consistent. If anything, you'd be like slower and less consistent. Things like you'd, you'd be slower, <laughs> less consistent, vulnerable to cards like Besaju, and um, like it was kind of a liability, and you would lose to like a single car and getting something. Now you have a way to go faster than them, and also faster than other um, other versions yeah. of combo decks. So, so for what it's worth, um, uh, this this deck now has. It probably always had this ability, but it looks like it could now have a lot more turn three combo offs than it ever could before. Um, kind of between Hope Tender, uh, the Tum the Vizier, um, and just kind of the way the deck is constructed now. Am I off base by saying that? I think three might still be kind of tough because you often it, it is, you so often is... play a tap land on one, but like. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you have, like, Grazer... Um, I mean, just Botanical Sentinel into Grazer, put in, you know, any land. Yeah, I mean, you put in you put in Stage, you untap, yeah. you, like, play your Hope Tender and your tap land then, and then, like, you play your fourth land, float some mana. Your fourth land's the... Um, I mean, even Hidden Street... Fourth land's Lotus right? Field, you float some mana, you... Actually, don't even... Do the thing. You don't even need the... Uh, Hidden Strings does it too, right? Because you still get... Uh, anyway, we don't want to go on the combo, but yeah, yeah, but but yeah, the next the next gotten appreciably faster, um, and also people have because of the breadth of the format been forced to play even less things. Like before, it was like question of oh, well, if this deck ever gets good, I'll just bring some damping spheres and damping spheres will be my answer. But there's a couple things that change that, which is that a, um, hidden strings has a ton of besages in it. You have uh, Sylvan scrying. And three copies of Besaju in the main deck, um, and really, and, and you have like two copies of Ottawara. So they have more lands that do things. Like those are pr really big updates, tutorable answers to previously lights out permanent hate. Right? If you like let them have the mana, or even set up to have the mana, um, they can pretty easily wiggle out of a bind that's caused by just like one or two, um, like hate permanents. And so that's been a big change. And also just the format as a whole has made it so it's hard to even fit that much hate in your sideboard if you're something like Rakdos. Like, I, I was saying how people turn to Pithing Needle a lot, because you can Pithing Needle Thespian Stage, um, or Pithing Needle, like, you know, Hope Tender, if you don't have a removal spell for it and you already have Thespian Stage named. But Needle covers also the green matchup in naming Karn or things like that, and um, also slows down this deck. But you you can't just afford to dedicate a slot to this deck anymore, right? That says that you need to have a card that covers multiple decks because the format's so broad. And the broader the format is, the more that a deck that does a specific powerful thing like this has an opportunity to get away with it. And so it really has been getting away with it recently, and it continues to be um, but to be a very real metagame contender. It's it's gotten like 
so much uh so much stronger yeah. than it was before as a result of people actually putting in the work on it and before it had kind of fallen a half step behind the whole format in playability but now i think it's it's able to be a step ahead well you really hit on the joke that i met that i was making to, to start this part of the segment right which is like talking about submitting the wrong 75 you know if you're a boomer like me and abe then you might remember the affinity taxed taxes placed on your sideboards in modern um i i think that this deck it really does ask that kind of question because it's attacking from an angle that no other deck is really attacking from in the format so you need to decide are you going to dodge this deck because of the like apes of the breadth of the format or are you going to say i'm not going to lose to this deck even though i typically would have a bad matchup to it yeah, yeah. I think just overall the deck um, has gotten to a point where it no longer. It used to be like if you just had some duresses and go blanks, it would be enough. That's not really the case anymore for even red black, and so um, those small edges have really added up. And and it's it's not really surprising that especially when the format is oh, not hold on, under cause red black decks are not playing duress right now. So I I, I want to disagree with you there. No, they are. They're playing like zero to two somewhere between there like obviously some play none okay i was gonna say list... that they're they're playing a lot less not every than they list. were there's not a consensus but they yes. do like if you are playing like duresses you have to be playing duress i, wanna be cl- I just want to be clear that we're on the downswing of people playing duress and the upswing of this deck so i don't know that we can definitively say that duress plus go blank is not enough uh i don't know maybe I'm i wrong. would say that it isn't because people and the reason i'm saying that's because we're seeing duress go away because we're seeing the okay, rest turn, I, okay, turn away to be, to be copies of things like Pithing Needle, to be things like sure, okay. um, like like Harder Interaction, or conceding um, more of the idea of this matchup in order to gain points elsewhere. But yes, I think that that's that not necessarily too. going to be... Um, not necessarily going to be... Right, if this trend continues, I think that more people are going to have to adapt. But again, like we saw during a time where, you know, I mean, there wasn't a new card that was printed that changed how Hidden Strings could be built. People just chose to spend a bunch of time trying to build hidden strings um, in a way that was better, and it came out better. And I think that in the same way, people aren't necessarily right now trying really hard to beat hidden strings um, all the time. And so it's still in a good spot and um, still has a lot of structural strength against the metagame uh, with, with the updates. And so it's definitely something you have to be aware of and know your plan against and have a plan against. But I wouldn't say it's like, oh, this is the this is the new best deck. This is what's going to be everywhere. Everything. I still think that like, Rakdos, when it has the tools, and yeah. you know, if you spend the time working on it, will still be be better than this. But it, it has been doing very well recently. It's in and, a very good position. And I think that you know that's something worth noting and and something that we should like. I, I actually, you know, as much as Mason's not here to continue to dog on this deck, but like. You know, as much as Mason and I have have dogged on this deck, like it's good for this deck to find its way back into the metagame and to like pressure the metagame in new ways. That's good, healthy churn for a format. Um, and I think that, you know, asking these type of questions again and forcing people will continue to make metagame shifts. Um, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's like, and one of the things I love about pioneers, we kind of get to the close. Of, uh, of our power rankings. One of the things I love about the format is that there are a lot of ways the format gets attacked, even if it's not always to attack on all of the different angles. What you like, 
I, you can get anything you want really out of Pioneer as a format as far as what kind of games you're playing. You can play really controlling decks like Blue White. You can play, you know, different kinds of very aggressive decks. You can play combo decks that are like really weird compared to other combo decks um, that, that you even see nowadays. Like something that I think Ari Lax pointed out was like probably the last bastion of playing like uh like an ad nauseum tendril style like ritual based storm deck of like i'm gonna make a bunch of mana and do a bunch of things in one turn this is like the last place you can do that but all of the pressures exist on the format to cause you to have a format that really represents quite a broad set of what magic is and that really makes pioneer a great format to me to like to play and um you know really it says there's a lot of room for any kind of player anything that you have a preference towards there's probably a pioneer deck for you to play um and there's also just a lot you can learn about, you know, magic in the big sense from playing a lot of these games of a lot of these different kinds of archetypes that aren't necessarily always represented in standard or aren't necessarily always represented in modern in the same way that modern has a bunch of decks that do like three different things all the time. Um, but these these decks are all pretty streamlined and pretty um, pretty straightforward in what they're trying to do, you know, with the kind of game they're trying to play. And you can really like see and learn a lot and experience a lot through the format. And I think it's in just such a good place and it's it's made me so happy to see you know a year ago or whatever being like yo pioneer format's awesome you gotta play some and i'm like nah that's whack to like now in rc later seeing the format in a really really healthy place i know a ton of people who just really you know are, they want to go to the pioneer rcqs they want to play that like as much as they want to play modern whatever they're happy now they have their deck and seeing all of those different things going on in the format that make me feel like it really is just a healthy format it's uh, it's good to see. It's good to see Magic is in a really good place right now. All right. Uh, let's move on out of our main topic into our Patreon question. You want to ask these from Patreon of $5 or more and fill out the Google Doc like Mikey did. Mikey says, when it comes to applying a solution to a problem, is it ever worth it to splash a color in your deck? This is talking about our episode last week. And I, I think there's a lot of historical precedents for this. And also, um, it it really hits home something that maybe we should have touched on in the episode, to be honest, Abe. I mean, we both are familiar with things like Spark Blade and Dark Blade, you know, Creeping Tar Pit to hit Jace the Mind Sculptor, Spark Mage to hit Squadron Hawk. Um, you know, we're both familiar with, um, you know, just, the you know, adding Tarmogoyf to our Blue Moon decks. Like, the, historically, yes, absolutely. If there's a problem that a simple splash can solve, it's definitely worth looking into. Yeah, I would say that, you know, when you're thinking about a problem um, in deck building and you're identifying the problem to be like, okay, this is, like, this is the problem I'm facing as far as what's going on in the games. How can I solve it? And the only solution you can think of or the cleanest solution you can think of is to add another color to your deck to have access to a card that changes the dynamic there try it out you know that that's that's when i would say it's worth it is when you're looking at the options you can't find a clean option that really works without making your mana like if it doesn't make your mana much worse then you should probably try it if your mana can support it it's probably worth doing because if you're able to cast it consistently then it doesn't really matter that you have a third color in your deck um but if it's going to hurt your mana then now you're at an, like getting to a trade-off point um so yeah i would say Splashing and culling your deck is more a function of the cards that you have available to you. If there's not really another solution, then you just might have to. 
I never thought that I would mention Darkblade and Creeping Tarpit hitting Jace the Mind Sculptor again on this podcast, and I'm really grateful for this question, for what it's worth, <laughs> Nike. Like, what a world. What a world. But, no, I, I do think that, um, you know, the number of times where Boros might turn into uh, Naya, or the number of times where Blue Red turns into Rug, or we've definitely seen... I mean, blue-black Death Shadow turned into Grixis Death Shadow, or, you know, whatever it is, there's lots of opportunities for this type of stuff, but it has to be that core thing that we talked about in the last episode, right? Identifying the core problem, and then once you've done that, understanding, like, okay, is this a solution that I can live with the consequences of? Um, kind of Abe's highlighting there, so. All right. Uh uh, if you want to hear your your question answered, don't forget to head on over to YouTube. Uh, put a question in the comments. Uh, helps out the episode a ton. Uh, and then don't forget to check out the rest of the network. Uh, I'm actually recording tomorrow with Michaela for the return of Mythicast. Uh, and then don't forget to check out Drafting Archetypes. Um, we really appreciate those shows and, and the things that the, the people, Michaela, for coming back with me and uh, what Sam does. You can like, sub, comment, review, whatever you can do to kind of kind of push push it under that algorithm you know that's 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 what the world is about now Abe. it's about algorithm pushing uh and those things really help the show uh if people want to find you where can you where can they do that oh my uh yeah people can find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings um i still have opportunities open for coaching um not just of hammer i realize that uh a lot of people have the conception that i do uh, only coach on hammer. I do coach, like, if you're someone who wants to get into hammer, I will give you the most specialized attention around, like, you know, making sure you're playing hammer at, like, an incredibly high level if you want to, or even just getting to that point where you can start growing in that way and helping you understand the deck. But I also, I've been working with one of uh, one of our patrons, Evan, for um, almost a month now on really um, reinventing his approach to the game and, like, thinking about things in new ways. And he's we actually had a session right before we record this in full transparency and um it's been a really big help to him so uh you know if you're someone who really wants to just improve the way they're approaching the game i'd love to help you with that um or if you're someone who just wants to learn more about any specific deck or tighten up your technical play all of those things i can help with you can just send me a dm on twitter and we can set up a time uh how about you spencer hey you can find me at spencer 13h uh you can find mythic cast as my monthly podcast that i do alongside this with Mythic Michaela here on the Constructor Criticism uh, YouTube channel as well as the website. Um, and then, yeah, I I had a really good conversation about coaching an entire team for this upcoming RC, uh, both helping them from like a team perspective, like coaching them as a team, as well as doing individualized coaching for that. Um, still have a ton of spots open, uh, so hit me up on Twitter is probably the best place, but you know, Facebook message uh, can also work as well as just emailing me at spencerhowland at gmail.com. Um, just, just a friendly reminder, you know, if, if you get the chance to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash ccmtg. And uh, just want to give a shout out to Mason. We miss you, man. See you soon. We'll talk to you guys all next week on another episode of Constructed Criticism.